You're tuned in to Aquarium Drunkard's Transmissions. I'm your host, Jason P. Woodbury, and each week I sit down with an artist whose work makes me think about the world in a bigger way. My guest this week is legendary guitarist Bill Frizzell. In the 1980s, he served as ECM Records' in-house guitarist, and he's been hard at it ever since, partnering with John Zorn for a long series of unclassifiable records, playing alongside Elvis Costello, Lucinda Williams, Allen Ginsberg, Ryuichi Sakamoto, Vic Chestnut, and so many more, all while making his own records, which blur the lines between jazz, avant-garde, country, surf, blues, and gospel. His latest is called Valentine. It's out now on the Blue Note label, and it finds him in a trio setting, joined by Thomas Morgan on bass and Rudy Royston on drums. It features Malian folk, standards, and originals, and it's as deft, nuanced, and emotive as you might expect. Bill joined me early one Saturday morning a couple weeks ago to discuss the new album, as well as his friendship with the late Hal Wilner, his deep listening practices, and telepathy. Please enjoy our talk. We'll speak more on the other side. Bill, it's a real pleasure here having you on the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions podcast. Thanks so much for, for joining us. Well, Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's good. Good to be here. I interviewed you once before, and I have to say, I left that talk really in awe of your vibe. You know, you've got this kind of quiet, genuine calm and thoughtfulness, and it really affected me in a positive way. But it made me (laughs) (laughs) it made me wonder, though, what was the last time you got really mad? What's a pissed off Bill Frizzell? Well, no, I think you maybe, um, I'm not so sure about the, there's a lot going on under the surface there. Um, It's good that, no, you weren't adversely affected by what all the internal stuff going on, but. Yeah. No, people say that, uh, you know, they say, oh, you're so calm and quiet. But it's, uh, I think that's more on the outside because there's a lot of turmoil on the inside. You know, especially these days, it's just, wow, it's intense. Wait, you've you've managed to figure out some reason to be distressed in the year of our Lord 2020? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There's a couple things going on, yeah. Yeah, it really it really has been such a I don't know. It it really has been such such a strange year. So is that the sort of thing that, you know, if if uh if you're uh if you're angry or you're you're bothered, is there a good chance that, you know, you, you read the news or something like that? Is that is that a fair way to put it? <laughs> sure, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just you know, try to I want to know what's going on, but sometimes it's just, it's overwhelming, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, the new record is is so good, uh, Valentine. And I consider myself a, a really big fan of yours, but I have to admit, you're so prolific that sometimes I miss an album or two, and then I have to go catch up on it a few months later, or maybe even a couple of years later, you know. I don't, I don't ever have to worry about it holding up okay quality-wise, you know. but. Um, I have to imagine that in this year, you know, your work ethic is so so legendary. Um, but even with the uh, you know releasing a record and doing all these live streams, I have to imagine that 
you're you've experienced a little bit of a lull this year that you probably haven't experienced in a long time, right? Oh, in in a lifetime, in in a lot of ways, you know, that's it was. It's shocking the, you know, from one day to the next, the the way everything shut down. It was just. I mean, I'm. It's it's for for most musicians i know i mean music for me is so much about you know i sit i, I of course i practice and i i sit alone and i write music and stuff but that's just the that's just the very beginning of what it's really about it's it's always been about being with people you know when i first touched a guitar it was in the context of playing it with somebody else you know when i was a little kid or everything i've done with music has been about being with other people so literally every day of my life or you know i can't think of there's not too many days went by from the time i was maybe two or three years, you know, my, basically right, my right. whole life, there's some sort of musical, whether you're, you know, listening to my mother sing around the house when I was a baby or something to, you know, there's just every single day, there's something. And then suddenly on March, I had a gig on March 8th and then came home and, and then a couple of days later, just it was like the door shut. And so yeah. it was, and then months and months and months later, I finally got to play with a couple of my friends outside and stuff like that, you know. But wow, it's really a, it's pretty traumatic, you know. You, that, was a, that was for a live stream thing on your, on your page, right? Well, well, no, I did. Yeah, I did a few of those things, and I've been doing those, which is a whole nother. You know, I'm. I've been up until this point. I always computer stuff. I've been sort of avoiding it, and I've always had someone out. Whenever I've had to deal with a computer, I have somebody else help me with it, or so you know. And so suddenly, I'm. I'm like, okay, if you're going to play some music, you've got to get this together. So yeah, I've been struggling with that. You know, some of these live stream things, you know, to play for 15 minutes and it takes me three days of trying to figure out how to get everything hooked up so I could do it. And right. I and mean, then I, I'll for, it's us. Oh, and then I'll forget to push the right button. And Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, but it, but it's good to have something, you know. I mean, it, it's like. Uh, oh yeah, no, I'm thankful for it too. I saw I saw you play in Scottsdale, Arizona, last December with with Julian Lodge. Lage. Oh yeah, yeah. And it was it was so great. But little did I know that that was going to be one of the last concerts that I saw. You know, I mean, I I, I saw a few things in in January and, and February. 
I saw you and I saw Terry Riley, Terry and Guy and Riley, which was really great. Oh, wow. Oh, cool. So I got to see some really good ones, Van Morrison in Las Vegas, right before, you know, it before it ended. But you're in like the last, you know, two or three things I saw. So um, live music, you know, this has been a weird, a weird year. And I think it's made a lot of people realize that their relationships to live music was was much more intense than maybe they had thought. It was, you know, just because you get used to going out and seeing things and uh, and, and sort of yeah. and all that stuff. And then when it's gone, you really do realize, uh, you know, the way at least for me personally, I shouldn't speak for everybody. But, you know, it's like a, a steam valve to some degree, you know, like you, you get to have this moment often, you know, when I see a live show, you, you feel a little bit of transcendence even, you know, you're, you're able to to break out of the the sort of the grind of of daily life and in 2020 that grind has become uh even more pronounced you know so live streams and stuff like that it's like it's it's good to have them you know because something is is honestly better than nothing for sure and uh and some of your live streams have been really really great it's really cool getting to see you sort of in such personal settings you know like a room in your your place there or or outside of your place, your neighborhood looks beautiful. What's what's your neighborhood like there in, in New York? Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's what you know. As soon as I start complaining, I I've got really nothing to, you know. I'm so lucky. I'm I'm in Brooklyn, but the the area is called Ditmas Park, so it's kind of it's a ways out into Brooklyn, and there's houses and trees and all that stuff. You know, it's not quite as dense as as other parts of the city and so you know i can get out and walk around and um, there's birds out there and all that stuff yeah that's nice you recorded valentine with tucker martin in in oregon right at, at florida yeah. recording yeah yeah you you spend a lot of time sort of in the the Pacific Northwest, um, but what what do you like about that? Uh, what do you like about that studio well, out there? Well, I mean, I I I lived in, you know, I lived in New York for ten years and then um, moved to Seattle in nineteen eighty nine. So I I and then I've just recent well three years ago I moved back to New York. So but I was in Seattle for a really really long time. And that's where I met Tucker. And yeah, we started doing stuff, boy, I don't know when, years and years, I guess in the, whenever it was that he moved out to Seattle, I guess it was in the mid, mid nineties or something like that, Mm. early nineties. And we just connected up and I just, we've just, kept this relationship going so then he eventually you know first it was just he had a little thing in his basement and then his basement got bigger and then then he moved to portland and got really got his own space and then now he has another bigger space you know beautiful studio and that's been awesome just to see how that's developed you know from when i first when we first did stuff together some of it was just literally 
like in my bedroom with a little tape machine or something. And yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and he's, you know, he's an incredible engineer, but it's also about the, his, well, that's what it's all with music. You know, it's about the, the vibe with the, with the people, you know, I just love him as a person. And Yeah. Yeah. I have to imagine that, you know, when you collaborate with people the way you do, you know, a lot of people in a lot of different settings and, and all that, you know, uh, feeling like you're on the same page as a person is probably, it's not just a nice thing to have. It's probably pretty crucial to, to making the work function. Oh, yeah. Right. You know? Yeah. That's everything. It's just, that's long ago. I figured out I didn't want to, <laughs> with every you know the i just i don't want to have to explain i want to be with people where you don't have to really figure things out you know i just want to go for it yeah <laughs> and, you know I, like with my bands or it's not about me telling the other musicians what to do i it's more like i want to hear what they have to say about it, you know, what they, musically, what they, well, I've said this a bunch of times, but, you know, there's that saying like the, like a band is only as good as the weakest link. And that's really my secret is, um, I just make sure that I'm the weakest link in the band. Like, I really feel like the folks that I play with are, I'm looking to them like they're my teachers or something. So I bring in some music and I'm just excited to see what they're going to do with it rather than me trying to dictate what I think it should be or something. So that way I'm always surprised and inspired, you know. On this record, you've got, Thomas Morgan on bass and and Rudy Royston on drums and wow what a rhythm session it's it sounds really really gorgeous and so is is there a lot of that happening you're looking at them and sort of uh not following their lead per se but but well yeah that's that's what really or I mean it's it's a mutual thing I mean that's when it's just amazing you know you just put your again that's what's weird about this time you know because it's I've spent you know my whole musical life is about it's like I said you have to spend time alone and you have to practice and you do all that but when you're really playing it's for me and I think for everyone else in the band it's like you you take your attention away from yourself you know when i'm with these guys i'm putting my all my focus is just listening to what they're doing and then whatever i do it just sort of happens on its own you know it seems like it's best when i'm not i'm as far out of my own head as i can get so that's what's been weird about lately you know i've had a lot of time to practice and write and everything but it's like you're always in your own own head and 
Yeah, this is so the year. With a, uh, yeah, absolutely. This year we've had to figure out how to live in our own heads a lot, and it's not it's not always easy for sure. Yeah, not a pretty sight in there, but um, but when everybody in the band is doing that, it's like this chain reaction, you know, and it you just um, the music sort of just takes on a life of its own and you're just up in it you've you've worked a lot sort of in in trio mode you know um i mean some of the stuff with like you know kermit driscoll and joey baron you you were kind of your your main band was a trio for for quite a while and uh i've just i've sort of just got into that gnostic trio stuff that you did with with carol emmanuel and oh yeah wallison so I mean, oh wow, what incredible records! But um, but yeah, trios, trios are a sort of a unique s- setting uh, for your your playing. What do you what do you like about a trio configuration? Well, again, it's it's always about the people more than the instruments. Uh, I mean, of course, bass and drums. It's a guitar, bass, drum. That's an obvious. There's just a natural balance there. And then there's the, I guess, the mathematics of, or the geometry of three somehow, you know, with like a tripod, how strong that is. I'm looking around my room and there's like, you know, I have all these mic stands <laughs> and with three, you know, they're all standing up pretty good. And Yeah, yeah. It's so very it's, sturdy. Yeah, so there's that. But and and then there's it's like there's something about that uh I don't know, I'm thinking about like actually when I, a lot of the music I write when I start writing music even there's uh just a lot can with three voices you know there's like just a just seems like infinite possibilities for just orchestration and everything you know it's but then the same is true for i don't know just two two people too that's incredible too there's yeah um, yeah i mean when i saw you with julian it was like um you haven't you haven't made any a, a record with Julian, have you? I mean, you've played on the same records, I think, but have the two of you just made a, a record together? Yeah, not not a duo record. And there's some of those we just did that when you saw us. I think we had just. I can't remember how many concerts we did, like five or something. It, it was just kind of a short little tour, but we recorded everything, and I was sort of thinking, man, it would be kind of cool to put some of that stuff out because it's different you know if we went in this i know it'd be good if we went in the studio but there was something amazing about those concerts you know where we just we just it was so you know it wasn't we didn't really figure out anything we just kind of knew we would play this song or that song and then just go for it and that was about as deep as the preparation went, you know, you sort of just picked some yeah, songs. We just, and... Yeah, we just knew 
what songs we were going to play. And then there was just, it was just so open and free. When you're, when you're working with someone like, you know, what, what is, I mean, Julian's obviously an incredible player, you know, and he's a really interesting uh, and dynamic player. Um, and you've played with a lot of people who, you know, that description would work for. But uh, what, do you, what do you like about, about him specifically as a partner musically? Um, yeah, I mean, he's just, I mean, if you just, as a guitar player, <laughs> you know, a, being a guitar nerd, it's like, you know, you're just sort of in awe of what's coming out over there, you know? Yeah. It's like, yeah. but that's, but then again, that's not it. It's, it's more, it's like this way of connecting. It's like you start, it's having this conversation where you're, anything I say is being supported or it, it's just this sort of back and forth support system. And it's, so it gets into this with him in particular, it sort of gets into this very, for me, it's like this sort of joyful, you know, we'll, we'll go off on these tangents and it's almost like you're just, laughing all the way out there or something it's it's hard to describe what it uh, like we both it feels like we're leading each other out onto these you know a lot of times unknown you're sort of let's go out into outer space over yeah. here and see yeah. what's out there right and we we both go together and we're sort of, you know, helping each other or you take a chance. And then again, that's with all the groups I play with. That's what I'm hope you know, that if you feel safe enough to, there's no real way you can make a mistake. You know, it's not a mistake can be great. If you're, if you're not afraid about making a mistake, if, the other guys aren't like keeping score about, you know, this is right or wrong, you know, right. None of that right. stuff. It's like, so you really feel like you can take some serious chances. And then if you, if you do mess up or whatever, the other guy will rescue you or he'll make it sound like you meant to do it or something, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's when I was in band in high school, you know, and junior high, I, I played clarinet, which I think you played clarinet. When oh you first, yeah, when you first started, Dude, like for a long time, I did that. Yeah. I had a, but I had a teacher who said that the key, yeah, the key to the key to music is to. Uh, I, I can't. How did he put it, Mister Anderson, my band teacher? <laughs> he said like the key, mm. the key to music is like if you if you make a mistake bold enough, everybody will think you're you're something of a genius or something. You know, like you wow. have to. And, and I, I always, that always stuck with me, you know? Um, that sounds like you got a good teacher there. That's great. Cause yeah, that's what, and then there's like, I think it's Leonard Cohen that said that like the uh, mistake is a 
crack that lets the light in or something like that, you know? And so many times if you're, if you're open to, if you're actually listening and you, you make uh, a so-called mistake and you actually, instead of panicking, but if you actually listen to it and check out what it was, sometimes it'll, you know, it'll, tell you something amazing that you didn't know you took i I listened to a a great interview that you did with uh pablo held um for for his for his podcast and and in it there's one point where you're discussing um gosh the the person completely slipped my mind maybe it was paul motion maybe it was Basically, you were tuning up with somebody. Hopefully, you'll remember this story better than me, apparently. Um, you were tuning up, and, and somebody hit a note, and I think, on the piano. Oh, it was Paul Blay. It was Paul Blay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I just watched... There's a great film featuring him on the Criterion channel right now. Imagine the sound. Uh, oh, it, really? I got to see that. Well, yeah. Oh, wow. I, I can't recommend it enough. It's him and 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 Bill Dixon uh, and uh, yeah. I mean, you you got to check it out. It's 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 oh, truly. Oh man, I gotta see that. It's truly incredible. Um, but yeah. So, but he hits this note on the piano. Paul does, and and you start tuning to the note sort of immediately. And I think you said that he basically instructed you a little bit. He said, Yeah, no, yeah, li- that listen was... to the note. Yeah, yeah. It was like don't. He said, listen to it first before you start. And it was like, oh, wow. You know, I've been playing for like, by that time, I'd been playing for 40 years or whatever it was. And I just, <laughs> no, it's quite a lesson, you know? Well, yeah. And I mean, I have to imagine that ties into that idea of 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 a mistake. Like, if you don't know what it is, you know, how, how can you know it's a mistake? You know, like, if you're not sort of uh, <laughs> giving everything its proper consideration, you know? Um, and I guess playing with somebody like Julian, you know, there just must be infinite directions that you could take things, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. This is kind of a, kind of a weird question, but you know, it's something that I thought of while I was watching the two of you play, um, you know, Mickey Hart and the grateful dead have sometimes talked about telepathy, you know, musical telepathy that they could sort of ESP or something along those lines. They could sort of indicate where people were going. Totally and go there yeah. together. So do, do you believe in something like that? I mean, do you think that obviously it's an outgrowth of language, right? Cause music is a language. So it's not that no one is speaking, but that intention and that sort of, uh, we're going to take things in a direction, how, you know, what, what is, what is that like? And, and, and does it almost feel like an, like an extra sensory thing to you sometimes? Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. When you're, and that's what you know it's hard to talk about but when you're in it it's like there's there's a lot going on you're just it's i feel like you're in a different a little bit you know on some other plane or something you know i i've told this story a lot of times before too but one time i this was a few years ago my daughter was working at this art center place in Vermont and I went to visit her for a couple days there and there was this one night where no one was there was a ping pong table and there was no one around and we'd had this really nice day together and we we said oh let's try to play 
ping pong. So we start playing and we said, well, let's not keep score. Let's just see how, let's just hit it back and forth and see, you know, just, just for fun. And then we started counting a little bit. And then we said, you know, let's try to get up to a hundred without missing, you know? So we start, you know, one, two, three, four, we get up to like 25 or something. And then it, you know, we kept trying and trying, we're going to get to a hundred and I'm getting tired. You know, we'd been doing by this time. It's probably, a, I don't know, a couple hours we've been doing this, but I was just determined that we were going to get up to a hundred. Right. So we kept trying and trying. And then finally we start going and it's like, you know, 98, 99, 100, 101, 102. And we were just in this zone, right? It was incredible. We just kept on, it just kept on going, you know, 200 and 300, 400, 500. And we're just bam, 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 back and forth. And it, we got up to, we got up to 608. And right at that moment, in my mind, I went, oh, man, I bet we can, in my, I didn't say anything, but in my mind, I thought, man, I bet we're going to make it to a thousand. And as soon as that thought entered my mind, you know, I missed, missed the ball. And that was right. But we made, we made it to 608. But I've had that so many times, you know, like with music, you, you get up into the zone where you're hooked up with everybody. And then maybe there'll be this moment where you of realization, like, oh man, I just played, I just realized that I played some amazing thing that I never played before. And then as soon as you think about that, it's like the whole thing will come crashing down, you know. Be right back after a word from our sponsors. Creators, are you tired of being paid in likes and clicks? media and streaming platforms help people find your work, but getting you paid is another story. With Patreon, you can stop rolling the dice of ad revenue and per-stream payouts, and grow your creative career through the direct support of the people who care most, your fans. Since Patreon is built for creators, not advertisers, you'll skip the middleman and develop a sustainable income source by offering a recurring membership to your fans. In turn, They'll get access to exclusive community, premium content, and the chance to become active participants in the work they love. The creative system is broken. So if you're a podcaster, video maker, musician, writer, illustrator, a creative person of any kind, sign up on Patreon now. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and change the way your creativity is valued by building the steady income stream you deserve. Now, let's get back to more Aquarium Drunkard transmissions. No, I, I, I mean, I've had plenty of experiences with the telepathy thing, for sure. Where, where, <laughs> where, where, where you feel like, I mean, I want to drill down on it a little bit because it's so fascinating, but, you know, have you had moments where you feel like you can, where you have sort of um, indicated to the other players, okay, we're going to go here. Or the inverse, where you sort of picked up on a, a on a you know a feeling or a direction from somebody else, like okay, we're gonna we're gonna go there. It, it seems yeah, to me totally. like totally, yeah, yeah. Just that happens all the time. Um, or 
you know, and a lot of times it happens when the other thing about right now, again, is we're not, it's amazing what happens when we're like on a tour traveling every day and stuff, you know, and uh, that's where it really, you get, just get into the, everybody's really on the same wavelength. You know, you're, you're playing every night, but then also you're together every day. Doing, yeah. Yeah. Just getting from place to place. I mean, I've had stuff like where when I'm with a group, like you have a song that's going in your head, you know, you, I remember one time I was in the airport with Paul motion and we're just walking along and I, there was one, whatever the song was, maybe it was a song that we had played the night before and it was going in my head, right? I'm just, we're not talking or anything. We're just walking and I'm, the song is, you know, I'm hearing the song in my head. And then right at that moment, he started singing the song (laughs) at the same, you know, the same place in the song and same key and the same everything, you know, it was like, um, that stuff happens a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it feels magical, but, um, but you know, ritual is part of magic, and you guys had shared the ritual a lot, you know. And when you're on tour, everything is the ritual, right? You're we're going to the next place. We're here's where we are right now, and 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 you're sort of in it together. I have to imagine that this year, having to stay home so much, you know, y- you must miss that feeling of of being oh, totally. places with people, you know, really being places. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally. You have, um, I mean, everybody has has lost, you know, people due to this terrible virus. But, but you've lost some some friends and collaborators. Um, and I wanted to ask you a little bit about Hal Wilner, you know, who passed away earlier this year. Um, yeah, you worked you worked with Hal quite a bit, right? Yeah, for forty years. <laughs> yeah that that was just I don't even know where to he you know he had he saw it to me the thing that was i went down such a huge hal wilner sort of rabbit hole you know when he passed away and and listened to that great mingus thing that you're all over you know um listening a lot to his 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 latest thing the t-rex thing you know but he he seemed to see music through such a unique and idiosyncratic lens you know and and i couldn't help but feel like there's some commonality there in terms of the way you see music as well, because you're this player who can slide into a jazz context. No problem. You can be on a rock record or a country record or a, you know, your own records might feel like a surf album one second and then sort of shift into this moody minimalist spooky thing. You know, there's, there's, there's no, there's no real, no real boundaries, you know? And, uh, you know, was that something you felt like you shared with Hal specifically, the sort of uh, omnivorous view of well, of what things could be? He, oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and But, you know, again, he was like a, a teacher for me. It was like, uh, like the first thing I did with him was 
it was actually the first album that he did of those sort of tribute albums, this Nina Rota album in 19, I guess it came out in 81 or something. And um, that was where we first met. And that was just on the word of a, that, that sort of gives you an idea of where he was at. I mean, we, a mutual friend, a drummer named D Sharp, who was a real close friend of mine, Hal needed something extra. He was finishing the album and he needed something, one more thing, I guess. And D Sharp told him, oh, you should check out Bill, you know. And this is before nobody knew who I was or I hadn't hardly played on any records or anything. And I just met him. I met Hal, and just on the strength of that, he trusted me, and we went in the studio, and it just, that was the beginning of it. And everything I did with him from that point on was, he always put me in some kind of a situation that I was never quite sure of. So every single thing I ever did with him, it was like, well, what we were talking about making a mistake or something. It was like, yeah. He yeah. Would kind of like, I would be like, Oh man, I don't know if I could do that. I don't, I, you know, I've never done that, before. but he would sort of nudge me out the door or through the door. And then somehow I'd find my way. And so, I mean, it's just, it's massive. What the, the impact, that he had on me. Um, so it's not just that we had things in common, but it's like he, he saw things or he saw relationships between people that no one else saw. You know, he saw, it always bugs me when, you know, cause there'd be these unusual combinations of, <clears throat> of musicians you know that and people say oh yeah i could do that they they thought he was just sticking like it was some sort of a random thing or some i don't know but he was seeing something deeper than just whatever the label that was on the music or something and he found ways of bringing people together in ways that they never would have dreamt of themselves and stuff Connections that go deeper than, yeah, style, stylistic labels or whatever, he, right? You know, he, yeah. Like yeah. I just watched that. There's a one of those night music shows, and with Sonny Rollins and Leonard Cohen together. You know, who would have thought Sonny Rollins and Leonard Cohen? You know. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> but it's incredible. It's it's mind blowing. It's so amazing. Gosh, what's there's there's one night music where it's like screaming Jay Hawkins and uh, Bob Weir from the Dead and uh -huh. uh, Bong Water maybe you know the band so it's just like, oh yeah 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 I mean just but I I love those night those night music you know and uh, maybe it was Sunday night at one point I think the show had two names but yeah I love that stuff so much just precisely because of what you're talking about the combinations are 
you know, the composer Arthur Russell has the song Wild Combination, you know, like that's a, that's the sense I get from, from Hal, but also from your, your discography, you know, is that um, the connections can be made and, and they go much, much deeper sometimes than, you know, this person's also sort of a little bit country and Western influenced or whatever, you know, like when I hear you, when I hear you play with like Petra Hayden or, or Lucinda Williams or Charles Lloyd, you know, you get the sense that there's a much richer uh you know sort of wavelength that's been established beyond you know i bet bill frizzell could come up with some cool uh you know skeletal guitar to to go under this this lucinda williams thing how do you how do you cultivate that with with collaborators how do you what's sort of is is there a process by which you can get into someone's shared space like that well no i think if everybody's in the same I mean, music is not, it has nothing to do with these, all these names that we try to figure out to call it, you know? So it's, it's, I don't really change what I do at all from situation to situation. It's just the surroundings might be different, but I'm using the same instincts, you know? And I, yeah yeah and when you know when you're playing you're not thinking about those labels you're not thinking this is jazz or this is folk or this is classical or something you're just you're just playing music so <laughs> uh it's it it's much more simple than uh you know how do you do that well you just you just play <laughs> right right i sometimes think about you know some of your records at least get filed under the americana sort of genre um and i've been thinking a lot about that term this year uh and well first and foremost i i wouldn't i don't i don't generally love it you know i don't i don't love the term americana um if everything that was filed under that genre tag was as adventurous and exciting as your music, maybe I wouldn't, I wouldn't care about <laughs> what people call it. But at the same time, you know, there's a compelling case to be made for it not making any sense if Americana doesn't also include, you know, rap music or, uh, I don't know, harsh noise records, whatever, you know, like, like that's all America too, you know, America, totally. America isn't, uh, America isn't just we shall overcome or whatever, you know, and, and, and all those folk traditions obviously stretch back much farther than even the founding of this country. But, you know, I, I've, been, I've been thinking a lot about that, that what we need is, is less sort of policing the borders of what something is or what something isn't, you know, and, and, and more focus on that thing that I think you're talking about, which is the sort of, uh, the spirit and the intention and maybe the, the, yeah, yeah. the, the underlying thing. And, and, and I just wonder, you know, are, are there ways as a, as a musician that you're able to, you know, uh, yeah. How do, how do you, how do you prepare to sort of get into that, that zone? You know, um, let's say you're about to go on stage, you know, what's your, what's your, what's your sort of, um, do you have anything like a like a regiment or a routine that sort of helps you 
clear your head and get into that sort of space where oh, that kind man. of magic can happen? Well, it's just, um, it's just trying to be where you are in the moment. That's the whole thing, you know, like, yeah, yeah. Like when you have a, one of the most dangerous things I found is like when you have a really good night, like you play a gig and it's like, oh man, that was incredible. You know, it's like you finish the gig and you come off stage and it's like, wow, it was like super magic, unbelievable. We never did anything like that before. It was the most amazing thing. Then the most, so what I'm saying is the danger is, the next night you can't be thinking about that you if you think the moment you think oh i'm gonna that was so great last night i'm gonna do that again that's a surefire way for nothing to happen right because the reason it the reason it happened so great was because you were really there you know you were there in that moment so for me, that's all really what it is. You just got to be where you are, be in that space and be in that room and be with those people right at that particular time. You know, you can't bring back something that happened before and you can't, you know, will something to happen that hasn't happened yet. Or so. You just got to give into it and which is not always easy, you know, because there's a lot <laughs> going on in our minds all the time, you know. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, be here now is obviously the sort of uh, a sort of mantra, whatever, you know, you could take it in the sort of Ram Dass direction or whatever. But it, it, it does seem like there's maybe a, uh, a sort of spiritual or philosophical component to, to your approach to music. And, um, you know, I, I I think it's 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 understand it's easier maybe to to sort of uh, highlight the the reference points on the on the map. You know what I mean in terms of like okay, now Bill made a, a record in Nashville, so you can understand how the how the Nashville thing kind of got into his sound. Or you know, Bill made a record with John Zorn, and it sounds terrifying and nightmarish, and that's cool too. You know, those are all maybe a little bit easier to locate on the on the the trajectory, you know, but it seems to me like what you're talking about is that it's not even about those specific situations so much as the intention to sort of be in the moment and focus on the moment versus, I mean, yeah. I guess all the, all the stuff that can cloud our, our, our heads and, and keep us from, from that, that particular time and space. Right. To- yeah, totally. Yeah. Cause all those things you just mentioned, you know, I guess on this, I'm still the same person, you know, in those, all those situations. And I, I didn't really change what I did so much. It's more just tried to be there. That's all. When, when you listen back to say like some of that early ECM stuff, you know, when you're, when you're almost the, the house guitarist, at the ECM label, do you listen? Ba- well, I mean, when you listen back to that stuff, do you do you feel like the 
the same person. Sometimes I'll read something I wrote, you know, 10 or 15 years ago and I'll go, who wrote this? Like, this is, does not sound like me, you know? Um, at least the way I conceive myself now. Do, do you feel like you, you do have a, a handle well, on, yeah. on a sort of through I mean, line? I don't know. That's, that's weird. Some, Cause I don't really go back. I don't really listen to intentionally really listen to anything I do yeah. past when I, you know, when I make an album, it's, you're listening like really intensely, you know, we record it and then you, the mixing and all that stuff is where I'm really listening. And then I just want to forget about it. You know, I don't, I never really, right. unless I'm, I have to for some, I don't know, for some promotional thing or something, you know, listen to this song or whatever. I don't, I don't really voluntarily go back and listen to my own stuff. So, but sometimes it, and now I'm getting old enough where it does have, like if, I happen to hear something that I did 30 years ago or something. It's like, whoa, wait a second. It's, it's almost like, how did I even do that? Or it, sound, it does sound like it's almost like another person or some, some t in both ways. You know, sometimes it sounds uh, like I'll do things. I was doing things back then that I can't do now. And I don't even understand how I could do them. Sure. So it sounds it sounds good in a way, but then also you know I'll hear stuff that's like, oh my god, how could I? What was I thinking? You know, it sounds terrible. But <laughs> I mean, but it goes yeah. both ways. Sure, you've done or, or uh, sometimes there was one other. You know, like one time I was in this restaurant. This sounds like I'm bragging or something, but I was in this restaurant and I was this music came on and I was like, wow man, that sounds really good. Like, I, I didn't know what it was. I had no idea what it was. And I just thought, wow, this is some really cool music. And then after about five minutes, I realized it was one of my my own records. <laughs> that was kind of good. <laughs> what do you, what, do you remember which record it was? I, I can't, I think it was, it might have been, um, it could have been that, uh, what is it called? ghost town record or something like that yeah yeah but it was like something that i hadn't that's the other thing we like some when you're recording it's just a moment you know like there's so many songs that i've written that i've never really played other than on the record like, yeah and then you you know you just play it once on the record and then that's it and then i never listened to it again and then i kind of forget you know and there that that's one thing that makes me think that at some point i need to go back and check out what all i've done because pick you know, up a few certain... yeah pick up a few box sets or something and, and give <laughs> give the discography a, a spin yeah because i mean there's things you know i'll sometimes i'll find some song that I wrote that I sort of forgot about that or, or it seems like every time I, there's usually just one or two songs that sort of I'll keep playing on a gig or something, you know, and, but a lot of it 
just kind of falls by the wayside and um, might be worth checking some of it out. You know, I, I'm curious when you're making a record with with somebody else, when you're making somebody else's record, let me put it that way, you know, you're playing on an Elvis Costello record or something like that. I mean, when you're in those situations, you're tasked with with not only doing your thing, right, but also doing their thing a little bit, you know, making it work with their sort of uh, vision for what this thing should be. You know, I, I don't know how much session work you do these days. I don't think quite as much. You know, it seems like you mostly focus on your stuff. But but when that was a, a part of your career, you know, did you enjoy the challenge of of getting into somebody's head? And, oh, and do you feel like yeah, that helped totally. you? Yeah. Oh yeah, a lot. And but then again, I've been really lucky. It wasn't always this way, but usually for quite a while if somebody asked me to play on their record they they want me to they they're asking me right so yeah exactly so that's where i'm i'm really lucky because whatever those situations are i feel like it's they want me to make my own decisions and it's not like they're hiring a guitar player to uh, you know, play exactly what they had in mind. They want me to be there. So that's, that's been quite a while. That's 95% of that. St Every once in a while, something will come along where somebody, I'll play on something and somebody has some just super specific thing. They, they're sort of dictating for me to play. And I'm thinking, well, why? why did you want me why why did you call me you know why don't you just play it yourself if, sure you know. sure sure you said that it didn't always feel that way do you remember uh, about when that that shift started to happen where when you were getting called in to somebody's uh well, album no it's it's a it's really i've been for really a long time i mean like you know, I moved to New York in 1979. And, you know, at that time, I would play a lot of different kind of gigs, like, you know, weddings or whatever, just, you know, try to make a living. But, you know, I'd get together with like-minded guys and then, It wasn't long after that, you know, Paul Motion called me or whatever. And, you know, when he called me, it wasn't like, of course he wanted a guitar, but he that's where I felt like uh, it was about me a pers as a person, not, he wanted my personality or the way I, the way my mind worked. That's what he was looking for. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, it, I mean, it's, but even before that, I guess, I don't know, there were people wanted me for who I was. But And, and, and I mean, obviously, you've carried that right on through to, to your collaborators in terms of, you know, when you're when you're selecting the, you know, the team for a, for an album, it seems like that 
continues to to inform your decision is that you're looking for yeah, totally yeah that's what we were talking talking about at the beginning it's like i don't i'm not looking for a particular instrument that i can i don't want to tell anybody what to do i don't want to have to explain things you know i want to i just want to hear what they're point of view is and that's the most exciting thing like if i write if i write a melody and you know i hear it in my head in some kind of way but then you give it to someone else and just hear the way they what it means to them that's way more exciting than you know me trying to get them to just match up what what i'm thinking about you know? yeah you you want to make room for other people's heads and space and and you know yeah totally well you know i started this interview by asking you about what makes you mad um i think maybe it would be nice to end by asking you a little bit about what makes you laugh uh in well i was kind of putting stuff together for this like i said man your, your discography is so so vast and so varied you know that you could you can spend a lot of time listening to your stuff and and still find stuff that you haven't listened to yet and one of those things was in 94 i guess you did some music for a, a television sort of short film uh, tales from the far side which was based on gary Larson. oh yeah gary yeah. larson's great comic strip so i i wonder you know is the uh, the gary larson sort of far side uh humor is is that is that uh the sort of thing that you're drawn to is that the kind of stuff that maybe makes you laugh oh yeah i mean i love him and he's uh actually i mean i met him through music actually it was he he was close friends with jim hall and who was my teacher and my you know big hero of mine and i went to see jim play in seattle long long ago and and jim introduced me to gary and gary's a great guitar player actually so that's how we connected we just met up and started we always used to i mean not now because i'm here and he's there but i we lived close to each other and we just get together and play tunes and stuff and so we really connected with the music and then but yeah, his again, it's like that thing about the the way his mind works, which I'll I'll never figure out how his mind works. But you know, he would see like just that was incredible. You know, the the way that those comics are, you just he would see that like he'd go out to have lunch or something, and just the normal things that we take for granted he would see from some other angle you know <laughs> that everything kind of turned into his far side world you know yeah well i think that right now we might be living in uh, a particularly bleak or dark uh, gary larson comic right now you know what i mean uh it's uh yeah. <laughs> I hope we can we can move to the more uh you know charming and absurdist side uh, at some point but right now it feels like we're stuck in a stuck yeah, in a we got to 
we still got to, I don't know. I know we're going to make it through this. It's, sometimes it's hard to see the end of it, but we're going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Bill, thanks so much for taking the time to join me this morning to talk about, I mean, really just an incredible body of work. And uh, it's, a, it's a real pleasure. And I feel uh, just as inspired as I did by our, by our first talk, if not more. <laughs> <laughs> well good no thank thank it's good to talk to you too and keep safe and all that stuff you know yeah you you do the same and uh uh we'll all keep listening and uh thanks thanks so much for taking the time well thank you bill frizzell a real honor to have him on the show if you enjoyed our talk please share it with your friends they'll be able to hear this program wherever they get podcasts or direct at aquariumdrunkard.com And if you want to take your support a step further, check us out over on Patreon. We appreciate it. We've got more podcasts, features, audio-visual presentations, mixtapes, radio shows, interviews, and a lot more over at Aquarium Drunkard. So head over and start digging. We've got more than 15 years of inspiring stuff up, only the good shit. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I wrote and produced this week's episode. Andrew Horton soups up the sound and edits my interviews. Video production by Jonathan Mark Walls. Executive producer, Justin Gage. We love hearing your feedback, so please reach out. You can find Aquarium Drunkard on all the social media channels. So do let us know what you like about the show and who you'd like to hear on future episodes. We'll be back next week with another strange talk for strange times. Stay safe. We'll speak soon.